Welcome to worship this morning. We are going to be talking about King David. We are in a series called Three Kings, and we are right in the middle of it. And so today, we are going to be looking at the life of David. And King David's life can really be split into two parts. This is the first half that we see in 1 Samuel. The first half is kind of his rise and his success, which kind of mirrors Saul's downfall and his fall from grace and his fall from God's favor. And it's his rise, it's his success, and it's his blessing in God. Now, David's life can also be marked by a really big, sinful moment, which we will be covering next week. And so this week, we're looking at the rise, the rise of a shepherd who killed a giant, who slayed his tens of thousands, while Saul only slayed his thousands, who was a general of the king's army, who had spears thrown at him by the king himself who he was an armor bearer for. We're looking at the life of King David. And so we see in the rise of David to being King David, that God exalts David. And we see this first Samuel chapter 16 and 17. But why does God exalt David? Well, it's kind of in juxtaposition to the downfall of Saul. We see that God exalts David for his humility for his love, for his trust in God. On the flip side of that, we see that Saul is brought low for his dishonesty, for his lack of integrity, for his inability to see his own faults. I know none of us are guilty of that in here. Saul is brought low because of his pride. Saul, the prideful Saul, would be replaced by the humble King David. The prideful Goliath would be defeated by the humble King David. And after Goliath, David becomes a general in King Saul's army. And he starts winning. And he starts getting notoriety. And he starts getting attention. And he starts getting favor. And he starts getting fame. And the hand of the Lord is upon him. And Saul grows mad. So we see that David... He's on the come up, right? He's getting viral. He's getting all the likes, all the shares, all the retweets, everything you can imagine in the kingdom. And Saul gets jealous. But why was it that God exalts David? It's because he was humble. It's because he loved God. It's because he trusted in God. But we have to see that before there was ever the exaltation of David over God's people, we have to see before David was raised up, David was broken down. I think a lot of times in life, we like the rags to riches stories. The guy that went from nothing to being a serial entrepreneur, and now he's just killing it. But what we don't really see is what it took to get there. We don't see the long nights. We don't see the hard work put in. In David's life, a lot of times we look at this young shepherd boy who kills a giant. We look at a man who slays tens of thousands in battle. We think, man, I want to be like that. That's like King Leonidas right there. That's awesome. That's what I want to be. But we don't see the pain. We don't see the tragedy. We don't see the hurt. We don't see the things that take place behind the scenes. So before David was raised up, he was broken down. From the very beginning of David's life, David was enrolled in the school of brokenness. 
We read Psalm 142, verse 4. It says, this is David writing. We don't know what time in his life he wrote this, but he writes, look to the right and see. There is no one who takes notice of me. No refuge remains to me. No one cares for my soul. Those are devastating words for a man who was on top of the world. Those are words that you wouldn't hear in the most emo of emo songs, okay? This is Dashboard Confessional times a thousand right here. I could keep going. <laughs> we see that King David, in his loneliness, was faithful. In his loneliness, he was faithful. What could lead King David, Shepherd David, Giant Slayer David, Enemy of God Slayer David, to write these words towards the end of the book of Psalms? That's where we have to go in his life. We have to look at what has taken place for this loneliness to be so deeply rooted. When we look back, we see night after night, David is tending to the sheep and his family's flock. See, David was the youngest of eight sons. I think there were two daughters in there as well. I don't know, don't quote me on that. That's a lot of kids, okay? What they would do is they would divide up responsibilities within the family. And so David being the youngest, they sent him out to watch the family sheep. And watching the family sheep, he was by himself all the time. A shepherd's life was one of great isolation. The only people he had to talk to were Stupid, smelly sheep that were running off. They were getting eaten by wolves and by bears. David was faithful. He fended off wolves. He fended off bears. He fended off lions. God would use that when he took down Goliath. Even in his isolation, he was faithful. In his faithfulness, he had nowhere else to go in his loneliness. He had to embrace it. He began to sing songs. He began to write his feelings out to God. We talked about emo music a second ago. Like literally, if you read the Psalms, so many of these are songs of lamentation. Lamentation just means of mourning, of weeping, of sorrow. It's emo before emo was a cool thing. And that's the style in which he is writing. What brought David to this point where he was so in touch with what was going on inside of him? Well, it was his faithfulness in the isolation. It was his faithfulness and the loneliness. As Saul hunted him, he went from cave to cave and hiding. And going from cave to cave, he left the kingdom where he was so loved, where he was lifted up, where he was being exalted. He went right back out into isolation. I went from the fields to slaying a giant. When they needed someone to slay the giant, I was out in the field. And here I find myself in this kingdom beloved by a king and now he's throwing spears at me what's going on here David removes himself from that situation and he goes into isolation once more we see that David experiences loneliness again when the man that anointed him as king over God's people saying you will be the one you're the one after God's own heart after that man goes to be with God we see David lonely in an isolation again when his best friend in the entire world 
who ironically was the son of King Saul, dies on the field of battle. I don't want you to just think about this as losing a friend. I want you to think about this as losing your best friend. It said that they knitted their souls together. That's how close they were. It's not like he just moved away. You know, his life was gone for him. Think of every man that King David lost in battle. More loneliness, more isolation. Now, we have to ask ourselves this question. What does David do with this loneliness? Where does David go in this isolation? And we see every single time David goes straight to God. And when he goes to God, he goes with feelings on a sleeve. He goes with a bleeding heart. He goes with eyes filled with tears. He doesn't run from it. He only runs to save his life. He doesn't try to be distracted from it. There's not many things that he could be distracted by. He could count the sheep one more time, but he's pretty sure they're all still there. So how do we handle our loneliness? I think when I look at my life, when I look at the lives of people in our community, when I look at the lives of just people in our culture, we, when we feel lonely, try to fill that void at all costs. And one way that we try to fill that void is with relationships. And I know for myself, being married to an incredible woman, I try to fill that void by running to my spouse. And I think, because my wife's incredible, she's the best wife ever, that I've ever been married to. It's a top. We have a tendency to think that the empty parts inside of ourselves, well, those are meant to be filled by our spouse. And so instead of going to God with these things, I look to Rachel and I think, well, if I'm feeling this way because of the brokenness, because of the loneliness, because of the isolation inside of me, whatever reason that may be, why isn't it that you can't feel this? Why isn't it that you can't make me feel better? And the truth is, that's not what God designed her to do. Now, that is certainly part of her role, but the way this heart was designed, the way your heart has been designed, is that there's only one thing that can fill that gap, and that is God. So we have to go to God in it. What about with our kids? We try to place everything on their shoulders. Everything that I got wrong, I want you to get right. I, I'm not happy with the way that my life was growing up, and so I need to make sure it's perfect for you. I need to make sure that all the corners are rounded off, everything is nerfed, everything is gonna be perfect for you, that you don't ever have to hurt, that nothing ever goes wrong for you. And we look to our kids to fill this gap, this void of loneliness and isolation in our lives by making things right for them or looking to them to fill a role that they were never supposed to fill in the first place and making us feel whole, whether that's their accomplishments or how good they are at things or how popular they are, how successful they are, how good their grades are. That's not the way, guys. In doing that, we try to protect our kids, but all we're doing is adding more trauma. The very thing we're trying to keep them from, we're actually walking them hand by hand into. They're too young. They're not mature enough. They're not strong enough to bear that weight, to hold that pressure, 
to bear that load, to take on that burden. They're not balanced enough to stand on top of the pedestal that we try to put them on. Maybe it's not our wife, maybe it's not our kids, maybe it's not other relationships that we try to just be around other people or maybe we're just in love with love and so we just try to run from dating relationship to dating relationship just to feel like we're enough. Maybe it's not that, maybe it's escapes. Maybe we just try to escape the way that we feel. Maybe if I can just go do this thing, if I can just go to this place, if I can just take my mind off of this hurt and this empty feeling inside, that, that'll be it. That's what I need to do. I need to sit in front of social media for hours and just binge these super highly addictive reels that some are so funny. I'm talking as the most guilty here. So I don't have to deal with the way that I feel inside. Maybe it's not relationships or escape, maybe it's just vices. If I drink this, if I eat that, if I pop this pill, if I smoke this thing, then that will help me feel better on the inside. And I want you to know, unless you sink all your finances into it, and even still, when you sober up, those problems are still gonna be there. You can push them off as long as you want, but eventually you're gonna to come to the end of that substance and you're gonna have a very harsh reality of it didn't go away. Just got pushed back five feet, 15 feet, 50 feet. It's still there. It's still waiting for you. See, I think our real issue in all of this is, is that we've forgotten how to be faithful to God in the midst of our loneliness, in the midst of our isolation. We've forgotten what it is to be faithful to God. And so where should we run? Well, not to relationships. Not to escapes, not to vices, not to anything but God. Because that's the way God designed our heart. He's the only thing that is going to help us through whatever it is that we're feeling. As we see David, he takes it to God every single time. Now David, in the fields as a shepherd, not very distracted. All he has to do is watch out for himself, watch out for his sheep. Later in life, David as king, very distracted. So many needs on his life. But what does David do time and time again? David gets away and he spends time with God. And he journals out and he writes out, whether it's in poetry, whether it's in song, exactly how he's feeling. So we remove ourselves from distractions. We get honest and we get open. When was the last time you were honest and you were open with anybody? That's the most vulnerable place that we could end up, right? And that's the very place that we try to defend ourselves from the most. I don't want this person to see that I feel this way because I don't want them to feel like they're burdened to help me feel better. Or I want this person to feel that I feel this way and I want them to be burdened to help me feel better. It's either side of the spectrum. We're supposed to be open. We're supposed to be honest with God. What I want us to understand in this is that he already knows. You don't have to act like you have it all together. He knows that you are so messed up. He knows I'm so messed up. You know what? He loves you anyway. And you're his child. And if you're in this room and you're a parent, and you're a good parent, I don't care how many times your little boy, your little girl messes up. They come to you and they say, this is what I did. This is how I'm feeling. 
and I need your help in this. You know what? As a good parent, as a good father, as a good mother, you're going to step into that situation. You can make sure they feel better. How much more would God do for us if broken, messy little children? We have to get quiet. We have to get still. I know that's hard. Maybe that means waking up earlier. Waking up earlier and getting in your feels. Don't approach that without coffee. You're going to need some caffeine to be able to do that. It's not going to be super fun. When you come before God, fully open, fully exposed, be teachable, be redirectable, and embrace what he is doing in your life. 1 Samuel 19.10. See, things take a turn in David here, in his loneliness, in his isolation. But also there's something else that steps into the picture here, and that's betrayal. 1 Samuel 19.10, as Saul sought to pin David to the wall with the spear, but he eluded Saul. That's sheer athleticism right there, right? When a king is coming at you with a spear and you're just able to die, like, he's got to be pretty close. He's about to pin you to the wall. I don't know if that means through your body or through your sleeve. I'm not sure. It doesn't sound very fun, though. But he eluded Saul. Built different. So that he struck the spear into the wall, and David fled and escaped that night. This was a man that loved David. David loved this man. He served him in his court. He played the harp. He sung in his halls to get the evil spirits to, to leave him so that he could be sane once again. And then they would come back, and David would do the same over and over. And David hurt for this man. And the matter saw God, the more hurt. David got foresaw, but we see that in betrayal, David was honorable. In betrayal, he was honorable. He loved Saul, Saul loved him. Saul saw his rise, and Saul got jealous. He saw the swelling of his influence. What I think happened is when Saul looked at David, he said, you know what, that was me one time. That was me before the Lord took his hand of favor off me. That was me before the Spirit of God left me and went into this young man. And in Saul's pride and Saul's jealousy, he was driven mad. And he starts to throw spears at David. Not only did he throw spears at David, but he hunted him down, field to field, cave to cave, in order to end his life. So, on this topic of throwing spears, on this topic of dodging spears, on this topic of running for your life, on this topic of not being taken down by those that come against us. Let's take a look at what David did. Let's take a look at what we do. You see, when King Saul threw a spear at David, David got good at dodging spears. What do we do? When someone throws a spear at us, now, I'm not talking like real-life spear. Look, somebody threw a spear at me. I'm not that quick. Okay? But I think I could take it. <laughs> at least that first spear. Second spear, I'm, I'm going to know how the first one felt. I'm going to wise up. We don't dodge spears. Instead, we become spear magnets. We start looking for spears to run into. And again, I'm not talking about physical, real-life spears. I'm talking about what do we do when someone throws words at us like a spear? What do we do when someone tries to hurt us with their actions, whether that's their words, whether that's 
something physical. I think today, 2022, we, we try to attract all the spheres that we can. I think that we relish in the art of being offended. If somebody throws a spear at our friend, we try to run over and take that spear for them so that we can be offended by this person. If somebody throws a spear at this group of people and it's online, then we feel like we have to go keyboard crusader and try to save that person. We have to be offended. We have to take every single spear, not just that comes our way anymore, but that goes the way of anyone else around us. If it wasn't about us, if the words that were murmured, if the words that were shouted weren't about us, what do we do? And we are masterful in taking those words, just twisting them around in our minds, and all of a sudden, that's not just about that person. Now this is about me. What do we do when it was about us? Well, we don't dodge those spears either. We take them. And as soon as they land in us, we push them in even more. The more offended we can become, the better. What did David do? David dodged the spears. We should be as uneasily offended as David dodging spears. Someone throws a spear at you, move out of the spear's way. Don't feel like you have to take it on yourself. You don't have to take it on yourself. You can let it go. It becomes a lot easier to let the offense of other people go when you realize in Jesus you've been let go of your offenses. Now, what did David do when Saul threw spears at him? I think everybody around David would have been like, hey, bro, you can pick that spear up and you can throw it right back at him and nobody's going to bat an eye. That dude just tried to kill you. Is that what David did? No. That's not what David did. He dodged it, he let it fall, and then he removed himself from the situation. After the spears are thrown at us, anywhere in our proximity, what do we do? We pick it up and we toss it right back. But we don't just toss it right back, we toss it right back with practice, precision, accuracy. You wanted to hurt me, now I'm going to hurt you. What did David do? David got good at hiding. David removed himself from the situation entirely. He removed himself from the presence of Saul. Why? To preserve his life. I think the only hiding that we do when people throw spears at us is behind a keyboard. I think we get really good at avoiding this face-to-face confrontation, which the Bible says if you have a problem with someone, you should confront them face-to-face, person-to-person. It doesn't work from there. Bring a brother into it. It doesn't work from there. Bring a brother. Bring a pastor into it. But we've avoided that entirely. See, now we can run from the situation. We can go to the comfort of anywhere behind a screen, behind a keyboard, We can just start whittling away our spears. Get it ready. Aim it. And when the wind is just right, we press enter so that we can hurt that person just as much as we've been hurt. What did David do? David got good at mercy. David got good at letting the offenses of the mad King Saul go and waiting on God's timing. What did we do? We perfect our vengeance. We see that David honored Saul until the end. What do we do? We seek to dishonor from the very beginning. The matter Saul grew, the more David hurt. 
the more our enemies grow mad, throw spears, the more they hurt, the more we relish in it. I think we could use a little bit more brokenness. I think we could allow Jesus to come into our lives, to teach us some things about grace, teach us some things about mercy, and all the ways that we've been let go of our offenses so that we can start dodging spears, so that we can start leaving them on the floor, so that we can start removing ourselves from the situation, so that we can let vengeance be God's, because he's the ultimate judge. We don't have to take it upon ourselves. See, brokenness for the Christian has its benefits. So we have to ask ourselves now, why did David need to be broken? Because it was in David's brokenness that God captivated and captured David's heart. 1 Samuel 13, 14, the Lord has sought out a man after his own heart, and the Lord found that man in the young David. And then the Lord exalts him to being king. We also see that the effect of brokenness brought about a process of pruning in David's life. So now we fast forward to the New Testament, John 15, 2. Jesus says, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that he may bear more. So all this brokenness that David is inviting God into in his life and his loneliness and then the betrayal that takes place in his life and his isolation, God is moving into that brokenness and he is removing these things from David's life little by little. We're called to do the same, just as Jesus says here. When Jesus moves into our life, when we put our trust in him, when we put our faith in him, when we follow him, we begin to bear fruit. And if we begin to bear fruit, love, peace, patience, kindness, mercy, being slow to anger, all the fruit of the Spirit, what does Jesus want us to do? The same thing, if you planted a tree out in the back of your yard, it was an orange tree, start bearing oranges, you'd want it to bear even more oranges. Until you start having to put them in cardboard boxes and bring them to church because you couldn't handle them anymore. Too much orange juice in your house. That's exactly what God wants for us. You start to bear a little fruit, he wants you to bear more. How does he do that? He starts to prune away the dead places in our lives. Jesus moves in, he says, hey, I'm gonna bear fruit here. But you need to work on this. And by you need to work on this, you need to allow me to work on this in your life. You need to be restored in this area in your life. And he goes to work, and we start to bear more fruit. But here's the thing about pruning. You know anything about cutting branches off of a tree? When Jesus goes to remove the dead places in your life, it is going to hurt. That is a promise. But we embrace the pain, we bear more fruit. And the pruning of the brokenness in David's life, we see the two things take place, and that is that in the pruning of brokenness, it produced character in David. Again, he peeled away everything that would get in the way for God to use David. God needed someone to use, somebody that he could depend on, somebody that sought him, somebody that loved him, somebody with a strong foundation that would not be shaken. And also in the brokenness, it produced humility. We see in David's life that it was all about God. It was not about David. And in humility, David sought God's will and relied on God's power. Now in juxtaposition again to Saul, in pride, Saul sought God's power 
and relied on his own will. And what happened when Saul relied on God's power, but in pride relied on his own will? The downfall of Saul. Now one of these two men was a man after God's own heart. The other was a mad, fallen king who lost favor with God. So we see that it's because of David's humility that God knew he had the perfect person that he could count on for the bigger picture. I think there's so many people, maybe this is you, maybe this is just people in your life that like Saul, they seek the blessing of God's power, but they don't seek God's will. We build these big, beautiful things up in our life. But if anything happens, those things are gonna come crumbling down to the ground because there is no firm foundation for which to build on. We never let God in to work on these hurt, broken inner places in our lives. And in doing so, our foundation is weak, it is shallow. And so as we start to ask God to use us, we may go up, but soon we'll fall over. You've gotta let God in. So we have some questions to ask ourselves this morning. And the first question is, in our brokenness, are we allowing God to produce humility? In our brokenness, are we allowing God to produce humility? In us, in our loneliness, honestly ask yourself the question, is God enough? Are you looking to anyone else to fill the void, to fill the emptiness in your life? Or are you able to go to God and say, God, you know what? There is no one else around. My relationship with you would still be enough. What about our humility? Hard question to ask yourself here. Be honest. Are you the center of your story? Is your life all about you? Or is Jesus the main character in your story? Is Jesus your main focus? Are you stepping into his story? Because salvation is not inviting Jesus into your little story. Salvation is holy. Your entire person submitting your life to Jesus, giving everything to him and saying, whatever you want, your will be done. I'm stepping into your story. Use me. What about in our families? Are we humbly loving and serving our spouses? Or is your marriage, your dating relationship, all about you? Is it all about what you can take from it? How God blessed you with this person to serve your needs and your needs alone. And they better do that and you don't ever put anything in in return. You see, marriage, when worked out healthily, is a submission competition. It's me submitting to my wife, taking care of her every need. And it's her submitting to me and loving me and taking care of my every need. And it's a competition to see who can take care of the other one the best. And in doing so, your needs are always met. Now that's also the hardest thing that you'll ever do is to continue to die yourself and put your wife, to put your kids before yourself. What about your marriage and letting go of offense? Sure, spears are thrown. Spears are thrown with accuracy because they're thrown by the person that knows you the best. When your husband, your spouse, when your boyfriend, when your girlfriend throws a spear at you, 
Do you dodge it? Do you let them go? Or do you make them pay? Are we laying our wants, our needs, our desires down as families before Jesus? Or are we saying that this family is built upon our wants, our needs, our desires, and we're going to chase after them? It's not how it's supposed to be. On the flip side of this, second question, are we posing with a powerful, perfect facade ready to crumble? If at one instance, one action in your marriage, one action at your job, one action in the church, one action in your friendships, one action in your family brings everything down to the ground, then that is something that was not built on Jesus. That is not something that you have allowed Jesus into to go to work on. Let him enter into your brokenness so everything doesn't come crashing down. Let him bring restoration into your brokenness through his work on the cross, through his restoration in your life, so that your family, your job, your marriage, your relationships don't come to a screeching halt. Some reminders as we aim for humility this morning, as we wrap this up. So we need to realize that David, as we looked at the good side of David this morning, it can be really easy to say, that's, that's what I want. That's a standard. But we need to realize that David is an imperfect picture of a, a becoming perfect king, and that is in Jesus. And David submitted much of his life to the Lord, but there were still areas where he had massive failures. And we'll look at those next week. So as a church, let's set Jesus as our standard for humility. And let's invite him into our brokenness to go to work in our places that need to be restored. See, David's main purpose was to point to Jesus. And God used David and his bloodline to bring Jesus into the world. And what a blessing that must have been for a man who had a heart, heart for the Lord. think of the life of David. I think of how sweet that must have been. But David is not our outcome. Jesus is what we are aiming for. As Christians, we are called to be little Christs. We're not called to be little Davids. I think that's, that'd be little Davidians. I think there was a cult that tried that once. It didn't work out real good for them, okay? So let's not look at these flawed, failed men in the Bible and say, I want that in my flesh. I want to be like that. Let's always look at Jesus in his standard. We'll close on this verse. Philippians 2, 5 through 8, the ultimate picture of humility. Have this in mind among yourself, Paul writes, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Now for Jesus, he came down from the throne of heaven to become a man, fully God, fully man, to give his life for you. He lowered himself so that he could lift us up with him through his perfect life, through his death, through his burial, and through his resurrection. When we look to humility, when we look for the standard of humility in our lives, let us look to Jesus 
And if we look at David, if we're reminded of David, let us be reminded that his whole purpose was to point to the coming Messiah. Let's find it in Jesus. Let's pray. Jesus, help us to look to you. We need to be humble. We need to be humble like you. Let us seek you out in our humility. Let us not in our pride keep you from the broken places in our lives. Let us not seek God's power, but never God's will. God, let us seek your will every step of the way. And Jesus, I pray this morning that across this church right now, that you would help us to identify the broken places in our lives that are broken from loneliness, from isolation, and from betrayal. And just as David cried out to you, that we would cry out to you, open and exposed, defenseless, and say, God, move in to these places in my life. Go to work in my life. Help me to be satisfied in you and you alone in my loneliness. Help me to be satisfied in you and you alone in my offense. And help me to let that offense go. Because I've been let go. Jesus, we need you if we're to become more like you. By the power of the Holy Spirit, would you continue to make us more like you? Jesus, thank you for your death on the cross. That our sin was taken from us when we trust in you and ask you for forgiveness for it. Thank you that in return we inherit your righteousness. May we operate in that righteousness. And when we fail, may we turn back to you to repent and ask for forgiveness. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.